Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending December 15th, 2023. This week, Netflix says, you want data? Fine. We'll give you all the data. (laughs) I'm Kim Hollis, having a very haunted mansion holiday. Thanks to Raul. Thank you. Aww. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, happy to announce his new deferred money contract. What is $0 deferred over 30 years? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who has received about the same number of gifts as he's given so far this year. That's right. I'm underperforming, but I don't care because Kim just brought me the most adorable Boo Funko Pop. I'm creating a Monsters Incorporated wall now. I've just decided it's that great. <laughs> And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's buried in spreadsheets. Why did I print all this out? (laughs) In our deep dive this week, Netflix delivered an early Christmas present, dumping an ungodly amount of data on the world. Raul, what have we got? Um... Yeah, this week, Netflix introduced their What We Watched report, a summary of everything watched on Netflix in the first half of 2023 around the world. It's the most in-depth insight into streaming we've ever had, a spreadsheet with more than 18,000 lines of data. And yes, if you print it out, it's more than 1,200 pages. And uh, what did we learn? But I don't have that much time, free time to dig through all this. Thanks for making me quit my job, Netflix. Jeez. <laughs> Now, is, well, is this actually anything to do with the strikes? Like they would be a little more transparent with the data? They're not obligated to do this because of uh, their contractual obligations due to the strike. This is more Netflix, I think, doing what what we've uh, come to term Netflexing and really just showing off at this point. We did learn that uh, people really like The Night Agent with 812 million viewing hours globally in the first half of 2023. And it was released three months into the year, which means this is only three months worth of data for The Night Agent. That's one thing we have to be careful about. This is only viewing for the first half of 2023. So the first season of Wednesday is here, but at number four, because it was actually released in November of 2022. And a lot of its viewing happened in November and December of 2022. So, Roll, this is where I confess I've been negligent on my job this week. I have not had the free time because of my writing to actually go line by line on this. And something you said there kind of confused me. So could you explain to the the listeners, you said it was half a year of data, but we only have three months of the Night Agent. Was it released in April? What's the explanation there for the difference? The Night Agent indeed came out in uh, late March, March 23rd of 2023. So, of course, it's it's very possible that it got no viewing whatsoever in the second half of 2023, but we won't know this until the next report comes out. So is it your belief then that what we're always going to see is this trend where the new hotness is what has the most explosive performance on the list? Yes and no, because we do see things like Suits and Grey's Anatomy on this list. But uh, by and large, yes, the latest releases, that is what Netflix tends to drive you to anyway when you open up Netflix and load up that homepage. So that is what's most likely to be at the top of the list. It is essentially a captive audience for Netflix at this point. You open Netflix and then you watch what they tell you to watch. 
So as I mentioned, there is 18,000 lines of data on this list. It doesn't mean that there's 18,000 shows and movies on Netflix. This is anything that got more than 100,000 hours of viewing on Netflix in those first six months. There are presumably a lot of shows that didn't even make that threshold of 100,000 hours of viewing, but we'll never know for sure unless Netflix chooses to release that additional information. Looking at the list, the top 10 is significant as there is some foreign language content. The Korean show, The Glory Season 1 was at number 3, right under The Night Agent Season 1 and Jenny and Georgia Season 2. And La Reina del Sur, the um, Spanish language telenovela Season 3 comes in at number 7. And that one's significant because it's actually not available globally. It's only available, I believe, in North America. And the fact that it still managed to break through to the top 10 is pretty impressive. Also worth pointing out, it's not 1,800 individual shows either, but it's the same thing that Netflix does on their top 10 website where each, unlike the Nielsen's, where it's all lumped together, each season is an individual program according to Netflix. So it is funny that if you scroll down a bit, Suits is still here, season one, because that that arrived pretty sure in June, that's why it's here. And then you know if you scroll down a little bit more, then there's season two and three and four and five as people just, they started binging it. So I assume when we see the next half of these of these numbers, given how it dominated the, the Nielsen's, they will all be much, much higher. But yeah, it's it's broken down per season for each ep- for each show. And I do like that they do that, breaking it up by season, but it does lead to some weirdness because as I mentioned, Grey's Anatomy is here, multiple seasons of Grey's Anatomy. You have things like Grey's Anatomy seasons three, four, six, seven, five. I don't know why people don't watch them in order, but that <laughs> seems to be how it is. I mean, it's kind of a mystery. Do you think that like different people are watching different things or do you think people are just like, eh, they want to play a season five, whatever? How apathetic are viewers on Netflix? I think this chart would suggest they're very apathetic. They watch essentially what the algorithm tells them to watch. And if that algorithm gives them content in non-sequential order, that's how it's going to play. We do suspect when you have shows like Grey's Anatomy that has, I don't know, 20, 22 episodes per season that no one's sitting there paying close attention People to each episode. People are watching. Yeah, they're putting it on just they, so they have something on in the background while they're doing whatever, chores around the house, cooking, cleaning, you know, folding laundry, whatever. And no one's actually sitting there watching Grey's Anatomy, but at least we hope not. So basically, the people watching Netflix are just drones, is what I'm hearing. We all need background noise. So, you know. Yep. And for most people, it's Netflix. In our rapid fire this week, licensing deals are all the rage as Disney has signed a deal to stream more than a dozen shows on Netflix. Meanwhile, Warner Brothers Discovery's DC Universe movies, which are already streaming on Netflix, will now be streaming for free on the ad-supported streaming service to be as well. David Zaslav needs money. I mean, for himself, <laughs> not for WB. <laughs> What's important to note here about the Disney deal is that it's non-exclusive, meaning that those Disney shows will still be available on Disney Plus and Hulu. And in that news is an even bigger headline as perennial Netflix hit Grey's Anatomy will now be streaming on its rightful home of Hulu as well. This whole story is basically history repeating itself. And I'm going to make an arcane example here, but it absolutely applies. And that is the reason why we have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is a real thing that happened. Kevin Feige and his team had a new idea and approach to how they were going to actually create films. Their idea at the time was to invest their own money and thereby get all of the profits from titles. They faced resistance from none other than Avi Arid, 
one of the most famous people involved with Marvel over the last 40 years because Arat had a very profitable business model at the time that was basically just a weird form of arbitrage where people would take the Marvel name, they would... Marvel would license it to them. They would make their films and they would pay Marvel a certain amount of money in exchange. Marvel had no risk and only reward, but it was not a growth business. Feige understood the fact that they were in a stagnant economy and they could not control more than they could control. It was a bad situation. David Zaslav has just set up Warner Brothers Discovery to be exactly what Avi Arad had, where yes, they'll make money. They will make the least amount of money they can with the licenses they own and there is no upside to it because someone else will be controlling the products they own. It is madness. It really does boil down to the question of why does someone want to subscribe to Max when a lot of the content that you would expect on Max isn't there? Now, I don't know how many people are flocking to Max to watch the DC Universe movies, but that's just one of numerous different examples. The content keeps getting licensed out to other streaming services, which means that the only draw to a platform like Max would be the what we described on Netflix as the new hotness. Here is a new series for you to watch on Max this month right now and you know in a couple of months maybe it shows up on Netflix but if you want to watch it you got to watch it on Max right now and what does that mean? That means they need to spend money producing the new hotness and if they don't want to spend money producing new shows the only way to prop up their streaming service is to retain their existing library they're not retaining their existing library so they have to spend the money to create shows like House of the Dragon and other similar very expensive shows to draw new subscribers all the time. Meanwhile, Candle Media, the company started by former Disney executives and backed by private equity firm Blackstone, is going through some tough times. It's time to have another pandemic fallout story, isn't it, Raul? It is indeed, David, as Candle Media is a company that came together largely out of the pandemic as people were flocking to streaming to watch content. And uh, no one seemed to think uh, about the future. And they thought that it would be blue skies forever. And that's not exactly what's happening here. We know Candle Media as a company started by Kevin Meyer and Tom Staggs, two Disney executives who at one time were in line to succeed Iger at Disney. And when that didn't pan out, they went off on their own. They found some financial backing from Blackstone and started buying up properties. Among those properties were Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine, which produces The Morning Show for Apple TV+, and Moonbug Entertainment, which produces the ubiquitous kids programs Cocomelon and Blippi. At the time, during the pandemic, it sure looked like Meyer and Staggs had found themselves a goldmine. Here were a couple of studios producing massively popular, successful streaming content. But right now, it's starting to look in the wake of the pandemic, these investments don't seem to be panning out. The investment in Hello Sunshine really hasn't panned out as profits have dropped dramatically, largely due to the next earthquake in Hollywood, the writer's strike and the actor's strike. Ironically, to shore up Candle Media, they are now laying off people at Moonbug. It's inevitable that Blackstone, the investment firm that has given Meyer and Staggs their money, will want to get its investment back at some point, which means spitting it off or selling it. So Meyer and Staggs are working hard to make sure their company is profitable. But all of this looks kind of bad for both of these guys who thought maybe at some point Iger might come back to them and say, hey, you know how I need to find a successor? Maybe one of you guys is going to be the guy. Not right now. It sure doesn't look that way. Timing is everything in this business. And 
all businesses, really. And we have a blueprint example of that because a year ago at this time, Bob Iger just made his triumphant return. And part of the reason that happened was because during his retirement, which lasted less than 11 months, he would frequently meet with his friends in the area who happened to be Disney executives named Alan Bergman and Dana Walden. They lived close by. They would come and they would just complain about Bob Chappick, who was the CEO at the time. And they'd be like, oh, it was so much better with you. So Bob Iger has a working relationship with these people and a friendship with them. When he returned, one of them looked like they were a likely candidate to replace Iger. So we're talking about Walden and we're talking about Bergman. The problem is their jobs are, oh, wait, let me check. Oh, they're in charge of all Disney entertainment. Tim, remind me, how did Disney films do at the box office this year? Uh, not that great. Could you sell Wall Street on the idea of promoting Alan Bergman or Dana Walden based on what's happening in 2023 as the leader of Disney? Ooh, no, not at all. The timing just isn't there. Now, if, you know, you done it after Endgame, everybody been like, oh, go right ahead. Everyone in Disney Entertainment deserves all the promotions in the world. That's what $10 billion in box office will do for you. But then we have this situation now where Disney is probably not going to win this year. And that hasn't happened in, I don't know, I'm not looking at my notes, seven years, eight years at the box office. So this has just been a disappointment all around. And now we get to the outsiders because Bob Iger went back to his friends former uh, people who work for him in Kevin Meyer and Tom Staggs, and they're now working on projects. I mean, right now, as we speak, Kevin Meyer is working on a deal to merge Disney's India operations with Mukesh and Bonnie. So, you know, we're talking about people Iger trust. They seem likely to become part of the conversation for CEO, but now we're hearing it's kind of a disaster for their company, Candle Media. So that's talking about now four out of five likeliest heirs to replace Bob Iger. Four of them have had just absolutely brutal 2023s. And what we're watching now with Candle Media is they're going back to their uh, investors and they're saying, we need to refinance loans because we just do not have the capital on hand, which is the scariest conversation you have. Now, it, it gets overblown in the, you know, people always understand some businesses are going to fail. They'd rather make more money eventually than no money whatsoever if a place collapses. So they'll get that. But when you look at the two parties right now, when you you look at Meyer and you look at Staggs, you go, boy, the timing is just not right for them to succeed Iger at Disney, which is good news for one person and one person only. And that is Disney Parks chairman Josh DeMauro, who right now is almost by default rising to the top of the list. He's actually the candidate I want to replace Iger, but it's an interesting thing. And I don't want to undersell what you're saying about Moonbug either, Raul. There's kind of a similar story going on right now with Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. This is more Tim's field of expertise in mind, but I've kind I've been watching it as a casual observer. Wizards of the Coast makes so much money, it's almost comical. We, we joke about licensing to print money, but they kind of do that at Wizards of Coast. I mean, it is one of the most profitable ventures on this planet. And yet because Hasbro as a company is struggling financially, they went ahead and performed layoffs the one place that doesn't deserve it, which is Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the same thing here with Moonbug. And you're just like, you know what? I understand you've got numbers to make and you want to be able to show growth, but there have to be smarter decisions in this. You don't cut the growth businesses unless you absolutely have no other choice. So this is kind of annoying to me. 
Yeah, as the year wraps up, Hasbro is indicating that they have to make some layoffs in order to uh, maintain some profitability. The weirdness being that some of those layoffs are happening at Wizards of the Coast, the division at Hasbro that makes the Magic the Gathering collector's card game, as well as the Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons. Yep. The people involved working with the uh, game developers for Baldur's Gate 3, the uh, recent movie, as well as the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. A lot of those people, if in fact not all of them have been have been laid off at the company and it just seems to be that they're they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing this by essentially gutting their most profitable divisions the same as we're seeing over at candle media where coco melon is unquestionably a success they just launched a whole new coco melon series on netflix last week for them to be doing layoffs there because a different division is not being as successful as they wanted it to be is unreasonable Okay, Tim, I do believe we have a box office story to discuss this week. Sure, we have emerged from the early December void, and we have what's ostensibly our first big holiday release, and that's Wonka, the latest musical adaptation of you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, opening to $14.4 million on Friday. 3.5 million of that Thursday. Not great, but not terrible. That's not going to reach 40 million for the weekend, though. I've got it about 35, 36 million, but that's an okay start. We were hoping for better, but it, it is going to be carried by the holidays, hopefully. And that's at least what Warner Bros. is hoping for. I do still have hope for this, especially given that we're going into the holiday week. I think that a lot of folks going to the movie theaters looking for a family movie are going to find themselves watching Wonka. Yeah, so one of the things we need to talk about when we discuss any box office this time of year is what it's making right now is what it's going to make for the next three weeks. So this is not a failure or disappointment in any way, shape, or form, nor is it a staggering success. Right now, it's somewhere in the middle, and we're on an elevator with all the box office we discussed right now. It can take a lot of different ways up or down, depending on what happens next weekend and the weekend after that, because we're coming up on something box office profits always called the 12 days of Christmas, which is the period between December 20th and the start of the following year, you know, like depending on the calendar configuration, January 2nd to January 4th, where a lot of people are going to go to movie theaters. That has historically been the case. We're presuming it'll be the case this year. However, the way box office has been down across the board, that's a jumping to conclusions. It's a little bit unsettling. But Tim, Tim and I have been having the debate, and I don't want to put words into her mouth, but she views this as a better performance than I do. And I'm curious, where do you stand on this if it is $35 million this weekend? I am kind of in the middle. I hate to, to take that, especially because it is very much a weight and see approach as far as the long term for it. But I think the marketing is weird. Like I honestly, I mean, yes, okay, the previous movies have been musical and it did not occur to me till very recently that, oh wait, this is also a musical. But they hide that very well in the commercials, at least, that you're buying a ticket to a musical movie. So I guess they're hoping for it to grow, but I think the marketing is very, very weird. And that actually could end up having a negative effect unless it does really catch on with, with audiences. So I think this is fine. I think its budget is like, well, the 125 million, which is a lot, but not outrageous. So it should make that back worldwide within a couple of weeks. But I can't really call this great or bad either. I need I need more than one, one day's worth of box office to really make a determination on it. <laughs> That's totally yeah, fair. The-, the other thing we want to mention is you talk about budget and 125 really isn't a lot. And I can say that in finite terms because when Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out, you know, in 2005, it cost 150 million. So they've actually shaved 25 million from the budget after 18 years of inflation. <laughs> I 
guess Timothy Chalamet is less expensive than Johnny Depp. But I would say that assuming, and this does definitely depend a lot on what happens over the holidays, but assuming that we do see a holiday effect in play, I kind of see this one potentially having a greatest showman type of run. It's a musical. It's largely well-reviewed. I definitely think it, it has a shot. It remains to be seen if we actually will have that holiday effect that we have in the past. It did get an A- minus cinema score, which means that it's a pretty good film. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the ratings because there's not much else to talk about with box office. Yeah, just to close that out, the main thing in its favor is looking at the next week's release schedule. It is by far the best family option, so that that's going to help. It doesn't really have any competition in that. I don't really think Aquaman qualifies in that category, so that's a point in its favor. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting season because we're, we're still not 100% sure how even the holiday box office has recovered in the in the post-pandemic era. All right, so we have the Nielsen's Dream Ratings for Monday, November 13th to Sunday, November 19th, 2023. And to no surprise at all, the top series on the originals chart is The Crown. 943 million minutes for 58 episodes. The first four episodes of the sixth and final season arrived on November 16th. So just four episodes and it shot right back up to almost a billion minutes. That's pretty impressive. I especially think if you just consider that this is like the end of it, it's even more impressive. Yeah, just it was just, just four new episodes. We did see it return. Of course, we, we see it return with each season. We we saw it, of course, jump back up onto the chart last year when, without new episodes when the Queen actually died. But yeah, it's been just about a year since the last season, which that was all, that was 10 episodes at once. This is going to be four and four, though it is getting ridiculous because they left it on a cliffhanger and they, and they killed off two main characters. I mean, come on, who does that? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Right, too soon? Oh, too soon? No. Well, probably uh, not too soon. No. Okay. All right. Uh, but we do get the, uh, the final episodes. Actually, it's uh, six more coming uh, on December 14th. So we'll probably see it stay for a couple weeks, start to drop down, and then shoot right back up in mid-December once the finale arrives. Up to second, which means it's not a great week for the original chart, is The Great British Baking Show, 470 million minutes, 93 episodes, adding them weekly. Third, uh, after its finale last week, Loki is still here, 440 million minutes for its 12 episodes. So that really convinced me that this season and the finale and the rave reviews just absolutely moved the needle. Because what we've been seeing from a lot of the weekly release shows, most recently from Disney Plus, Ahsoka, we saw it happen with Only Murders in the Building. The finale arrived and then it immediately fell off the chart. But that did not happen here. It's down a lot, but still managed to put an impressive number. So I think this had some tremendous word of mouth. I certainly do hope that people are talking about it about how good it is and that it is in fact drawing some people who would otherwise not have watched it i know we've watched it multiple times so we uh we would certainly be adding into that total it's one of those things that's on the list for me if I had all the time in the world, even though I, I think the only other Marvel show. OK, no, I've watched, I've watched WandaVision and I watched She-Hulk. So do I have to be that uh, invested in the MCU to watch this from the start? I wouldn't say so. This very no. much is a character study of Loki and the new yep. people introduced in this in this series. Yes. And I, I'm not giving away anything really here to tell you that this Loki is a variant of the original Loki anyway. So it's you can roll with it and it doesn't necessarily have to be attached. OK, interesting. 
Yeah, they do a good job of explaining how the show starts, like what has happened to get you to that point. And then within the first 10 minutes, you will be hooked in the new story. And then it is pretty much completely detached from the rest of the MCU throughout the episodes. And realistically, you'll probably enjoy it more because you will, uh, there are things you'll see about it that we didn't because we watched it piecemeal. So in a way, I'm kind of jealous of you if you spend the holidays watching Loki. <laughs> all right, I'll keep it in mind. And fourth, a previous top original series, All the Light We Cannot See, four episodes, 406 million minutes. Uh, new and fifth, Criminal Code, 338 million minutes for eight episodes. I was about to yell at the audiences for watching this, but it turns out it is not a true crime documentary. It is a Brazilian procedural, essentially. Like their version of, uh, I don't know, you know, CSI or NCIS or something like that. So I'll allow it. That's amazing. I don't know that we discussed this show. I'm pretty sure we did not. Uh, new in six, Matt Reif, Natural Selection, 314 million minutes. This is a comedy special, so it, it is always interesting to see those because they do have an uphill battle being just one episode as opposed to a series. But yeah, this guy kind of sucks and I'm really mad. Yeah, I'm not familiar with him. And again, I don't know that we even discussed this comedy special. No, we did not. Uh, but I did see people talking about it when it arrived. And he just kind of leans right into, I guess you call it, you know, sexist and not that funny type stuff. But, you know, of course, that does have its audience, unfortunately. But yeah, this, this guy is uh, not that great in my book. I might have kind of purposefully left him off the list. Hey, Beckinsale's X, by the way, that'll bake your noodle. Hmm. All right. Uh, some stuff we've seen before from Netflix. Selling Sunset is seven, 301 million minutes, 68 episodes. Escaping Twin Flames, 298 million minutes for three episodes and eighth. And ninth goes to Life on Our Planet, 263 million minutes for its eight episodes. Uh, but new in 10th from Prime Video, Invincible, 245 million minutes for 12 episodes. This is the, an adult animated series that's on Prime. The second season began actually on November 3rd, uh, released episodes weekly, only uh Four episodes for the first half of the, the season, the second apparently coming sometime next year. So this is, we'll add one more episode on next week's ratings, but there it is poking its head in to the, onto the original chart. That's very impressive, honestly, just for a prime video show, much yes. less an animated one. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've heard people talking about this and, and recommending it, but uh, I don't know much else about it other than it's you know su superhero related. It's based on a comic book series from Robert Kirkman, who also created The Walking Dead and has a very adult twist to it. I'm not surprised that it found itself an audience. The comic book is very popular. And uh, yeah, the first season was very solid and left us on a pretty impressive cliffhanger. So I'm not surprised either that uh, the arrival of season two has garnered as much attention as it has. Yeah, the first season was all the way back in spring 2021, so it had been a while, but yeah, here it is uh, over two years later and just found an audience. And actually, they were, even though we didn't see it on the ratings, Amazon was very happy with it because they gave it a two-season renewal, so there will be a third. Right, over in movies, it's still led by The Killer, 557 million minutes for the first week of its full availability on Netflix. Not a surprise, but unfortunately... In a bit of a surprise, and second is Lone Survivor, 413 million minutes. Yes, the 2013 uh, Mark Wahlberg movie. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. Netflix will tell you what you're going to watch. Yeah, so returning to Netflix from wherever the hell it was on November 16th. So this was front and center, I'm sure, on, on the site. So people went and, went and watched it. <sighs> Stop letting Netflix rule your life. This is how AIs take over, people. 
Right, but new and third, best Christmas ever, 413 million minutes. This one is at least a new movie that also arrived on the 16th. So now we're getting the holiday content, which is good. It's still mid-November in these ratings, but I'm curious to see how this will hold throughout the month if it does. Why so is everybody looking at me? I didn't watch. <laughs> no, you didn't? No, I've already seen best Christmas party ever on Hallmark, and I hated it. So, <laughs> But this this has Heather Graham and Brandy, so how bad could it be? I think you just answered your own question. <laughs> uh, but fourth, we saw this last week from Disney Plus, Home Alone, 367 million minutes, because as soon as we hit November, people start playing the holiday movies. Uh, fifth from Netflix, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, been here a few weeks now, 355 million minutes. New and sixth from Max, Blue Beetle, 335 million minutes. So we're not going to rush to just, uh, judgment on this because we've learned that sometimes the second week is much better. Mm -hmm. I do think it's fair to say that this is not the kind of number that HBO was probably hoping for. Would you agree? Uh, it is just a weekend number, so it's not the best star, but I do think there's a chance we could see it go higher next week with the full week. But yeah, it's not it's not the best star. Max has actually done better in the past. Or maybe they're just you know waiting a certain amount of time before they just license it to Netflix so they can make more money. And Tubi. Don't forget Tubi. And Tubi. Yes, absolutely. Get, get that fast cash. Elemental, still here. Showing, you know, amazing legs, 335 million minutes for seventh. Uh, but new and eighth from Paramount Plus, Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, 291 million minutes. Yes, the theatrical release from earlier this year, just actually uh, back in late September. And less than two months later, showing up on Paramount Plus on November 14th. Yeah, there was actually a Paw Patrol film that came out during the pandemic. And relative to pandemic performances, it did better than expected, both at the box office and on Paramount Plus. So they rushed a quick sequel that has done, you know, the same. I guess there's just a very finite Paw Patrol audience. But, you know, here we are. Yeah, it's not a big audience, but it certainly has one. So, sure, why not? The Grinch, 2018 edition from Peacock, 266 million minutes for ninth. So we have multiple services represented on the movies chart this this week, as opposed to the general Netflix domination on the originals chart, which is two non-Netflix shows. And we wrap up movies with Moana, 223 million minutes. Good to see it back. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before, led by Grey's Anatomy, 937 million minutes for its 417 episodes, Ye Gods. Nothing else new this week on the uh, on that chart. Six Feet Under, which came last week, 696 million minutes, which was good for six, credited to Max and, and Netflix. Friends also still getting its its bump, 750 million minutes. The most watched program uh, on Max is Friends, as depressing as that seems. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah, pretty quiet week for the ratings. Uh, the, the Crown, I assume, will will it jump next week? I don't know. It was only four episodes. Maybe everyone binged it and they were good, but we'll we'll see. But we know it's going to do even better in about a month from now when we get the, the ratings for mid-December when the second half arrives. Uh, and then we just have more holiday content arriving on the movie start. And that's all for this week. All right. Thank you, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Apple has picked up a sci-fi series based on the Hugo and Nebula award-winning The Murderbot Diaries books. It's set to star Alexander Skarsgård and produced by Chris and Paul Weitz. And these books are a big favorite in my sci-fi and fantasy book club. I assume we're looking at some kind of big budget production here. I would assume so. Yep. And I generally, even though you'll you'll be like, oh, well, they're, it's the American Pie guys. I actually really quite like a lot of the work of Chris and Paul White. So I have high hopes for this one. And Apple usually does sci-fi right. And it's fun to say murder bot. Mm -hmm. Apple has also renewed Platonic for a second season. Not a real show. 
<laughs> oh no! Well, no, no, wait. This is the comedy with uh, Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. It sure is. Yep. Ah, okay. How about that? Amazon Prime Video has renewed Good Omens for a third and final season, much to the delight of many of us and Neil Gaiman. Yeah, the season two came out in the middle of the writers and actors strike. And so it was really hard to have the talent behind the show promote it. And that was unfortunate. But I'm glad to see that they uh, Amazon is sticking with it uh, and closing out the story. Yeah, it was obviously just emotionally devastating to Neil Gaiman that he was unable to market this product because, as a reminder, he wrote the original Good Omens with Terry Pratchett, who is no longer with us. And this sequel was a standalone and almost like a loving tribute to his co-author. And then after all that, he couldn't say anything about it because of the writer's strike. It just it seemed like it was killing him. So I'm so glad that we can do this a different way. And as a reminder, the second season has done extraordinarily well, all things considered. So it's justified by the numbers as well. Amazon MGM has also won a bidding war for the spy project Best of Enemies with Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale. Uh, I could see why there would be a bidding war on this project given these two A-list stars in it. Netflix is rebooting Good Times as an animated series. I don't even know where to take this. Uh, (laughs) Who knows? Why is it animated? But the voice talent, I mean, J.B. Smoove, Yvette Nicole Brown, Jay Farrow, that's some great talent. Why hide them behind animation? Well, I guess we'll find out. John Amos is still alive. Please get him on this. (laughs) Netflix has also renewed Love is Blind through season seven. I suppose we should be thankful it's not through season 70. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose we should, yes. But it's not all good news at Netflix, as a number of recent shows won't be seeing another season, including Shadow and Bone and Agent Elvis. Yeah, we actually were having this discussion quite a bit before the podcast began. In a way, Netflix's data dump came across as a power move. But when people pressed Netflix executives on some of what they did, there was a defensiveness and the posture kind of changed somewhat. And it's for situations like Shadow and Bone and Sex Life, which were two series that were wildly popular. I mean, wildly popular, and their data reinforces that fact. We knew because we'd seen, you know, Sex Life on the Nielsen ratings, but it did not have the ratings you would expect of something that got canceled, which really does reinforce how merciless Netflix is. Doesn't care if you watch or not, doesn't care if you love or not. It only cares how profitable a show is. And in the case of Shadow and Bone, super expensive to make. In the case of Sex Life, they thought season three was going to cost more, so the juice wasn't worth to squeeze. And if you're a Netflix subscriber, you should be doing more to pressure Netflix to actually renew shows you like, because if you don't stand up for this now, it's going to get worse, not better. Yeah, Shadow and Bone looks like it was the number 26 on that overall chart for the first half of the year. And the fact that it didn't get renewed just tells you how expensive that show had to have been for it to be number 26 and not get renewed. I do really feel Netflix expected it to be more of a top 10 show, given the production value that went into it. The fact that they stuck with it for two seasons speaks a lot to how committed they were to it. But when it just doesn't pan out after two seasons, I think they just have to cut bait there. Agree to strongly 
strongly, vehemently disagree. This is the problem we've got. You can't have a suits down the road if you cancel everything that is building an audience too quickly. You have to give shows like this time to keep finding audiences. You look at Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad's numbers didn't justify a season two renewal. Season two's numbers did not justify a season three renewal, but they kept making it because they knew it was a high quality product. When you have these programs that are enticing viewers, you have to keep renewing them no matter if there is a temporary short term, not as profitable situation because they will eventually pay for themselves. You have to reach the point where all profit is evergreen and they are not showing that patience and it's going to bite them in the end. And just to close it out, some of the other shows that have not been renewed include Glamorous, as well as the highly unconventional animated series Agent Elvis with Matthew McConaughey as the voice of Elvis and the animated series Captain Fall. None of those shows are getting another season. <laughs> oh, I think Captain Fall ended on a cliffhanger, didn't it, David? Oh, Raul, you haven't just devastated me. It's even worse than I realized. They canceled it after the first half. It doesn't look like they're going to air oh, no. the second half. So it has finished on a cliffhanger. Why would you do that? Funny show. And Bob Odenkirk's Lucky Hank won't see a second season at AMC. This was his follow-up to Better Call Saul. He went right into another drama after that one. Maybe he should have taken some time off. We know also he had gone through some uh, health issues near the end of Better Call Saul. So it's unfortunate that this one didn't uh, make it to season two, but maybe he'll take some time off now. As always, we wrap up the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I actually just kind of tore through two novellas by Becky Chambers. They are called Some for the Wild Built and A Prayer for the Crown Shy. These are what would be called solar punk novels, basically set in a world where people have kind of gone back to basics. They don't use a ton of technology and it's very much about being at one with the earth. Long story short, the story brings together a monk named Sibling Dex and a robot from the wild named Mosscap. And their journey together is just extremely heartwarming. It's very cozy. Sibling Dex is what's called a tea monk, and they set up tea at their cart and just listen to people's problems. But when they meet Mosscap, things change a bit. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a lovely, lovely book. A lot of philosophical thoughts and ideas running through it, and I strongly recommend them. Although I will say, if you're looking for a lot of action, you will not get it. Raul, how about you? I've been catching up on a couple of recent movies. I saw the Please Don't Destroy movie on Peacock, The Treasure of Foggy Mountain, which was as stupid as you would expect it to be. I don't think I need to get into details. <laughs> it is very sophomoric. It's an effective waste of your time. I don't think I am angry that I watched it. It just didn't really do much for me. And then I watched Genie, the remake of the holiday movie Bernard and the Genie that I had mentioned a few weeks ago, which is also on Peacock. This one stars Melissa McCarthy as a genie. There's a scene, this is for David and Kim, where she actually has to try on a number of different outfits to disguise herself. And she disguises herself at one moment as a caterer. And she looks very much 
much like a character she played in a certain other TV show that introduced her to the world. So watch for that if you're watching this movie. But in terms of the quality of this movie, I feel there is very little depth to it. It is essentially the same premise as the original Bernard and the Genie, where this gentleman, hard on his luck during Christmas, happens to find a genie who then bestows upon him infinite wishes, hilarity ensues, and lessons are learned, and everything turns out well at the end. There is some funny moments. Mark Marin appears in it for some reason. He seems to be totally wasted in his scenes. I'm not entirely sure what they were trying to go for with that. It's unnecessary. And honestly, this is forgettable. This is not going to be a movie people are going to be watching Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. Most people are barely going to remember it a week after they've watched it. So yeah, maybe take a moment to uh, see Melissa McCarthy do some zany comedy. But beyond that, I don't necessarily recommend Genie on Peacock. All right, Tim, how about you? Finally had a chance to finish Only Murders in the Building Season 3. It actually had been so long, I just watched the it over from the start because I'd only seen the first two episodes, and it was fantastic, as usual. I think I actually liked it better than the second season uh, myself. I, I liked that, they just the, the misdirections that they threw as to who had done it, the humor and the jokes and the storyline, and of course, all the performances are great. You have Meryl Streep, you have Paul Rudd, you have the main cast. It was tremendous. I was very, very happy with it. And of course, they set up Season 4, which at this point, don't you just move? completely like you know leave the building because it just keeps happening maybe Which, people just die in buildings in new york all the time I, I guess yeah how how often does that does that happen but but yeah i i'm very excited that it's that it's going to continue as long as they keep up this quality two other follow-ups from things i talked about before roll i'm very sorry for ruining your life by talking about a four hour youtube video that you then went ahead and watched and then sent you down a rabbit hole <laughs> of a farmer guy's video history uh, but i will point out that now in less than two weeks the plagiarism video has crossed 10 million views which is astounding yeah, that's right. Immediately after we were done recording the podcast, I started watching that video <laughs> four hours. And there was apparently an accessory video from a different YouTube creator, someone else that yep. Tim has mentioned in the past. Todd in the shadows. He, yeah. Exclusively talks about music, but was so enraged at this guy that on top of following this video, he had to release his own basically how if it wasn't plagiarized, it was made up. So, <laughs> or yeah, misinterpreted. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much a third of my day was consumed with watching long form <laughs> YouTube videos. But thank Thank you for that tip. Yes, yes. Uh, and then I did mention uh, several weeks back about the season 14 fundraiser for Mystery Science the Year 3000 that Joel had launched and I expressed doubts about it. And yes, it did fail. It did not reach its goal for multiple reasons. It couldn't be promoted by anyone involved in the show until like maybe about a week before it ended because of the strikes. It wasn't on Kickstarter, so it had limited reach. And November is probably not a good time to ask for money, especially since people are you know, budgeting for the holidays and such and some other reasons. But he did thank everyone for donating. No money was collected since it didn't reach the target. And he's going to, they said they're going to reevaluate a few things and perhaps try again next year. And they may have production partners involved, which maybe will ease the total cost. So it was disappointing, but I, I think, you know, Joel still wants to keep going. I hope we get more, especially as much as I enjoyed the episodes from the new cast in season 13. Uh, I think he's going to try again, but that was disappointing. But if you're going to watch anything this, this holiday season, just watch Only Murders in the Building season three if you haven't yet. It really is so, so good. And David, how about you? Yeah, I'm actually surprised Kim didn't talk about this. Last night we watched the first two episodes of the new season of Reacher. She hasn't finished watching season one yet, but we knew that they were going to be self-contained stories. So she felt comfortable skipping ahead to season two. And this is brilliant. 
television. There's just no other way to say it. I'm kind of in awe of how much the storytellers this time understand the character. When we watched the Jack Reacher film, the first one, uh, I didn't like it. I thought it was way, way, way too gun fetishist and just lacking in story about anyone but Tom Cruise. And it was really hard differentiating Tom Cruise from Jack Reacher. The second Jack Reacher film, which by the way, did not do anywhere near as well as the first one, I thought was a vastly superior film because it dialed it down to three very specific characters and did an excellent job of telling the story of all of them. Well, season two of Reacher is doing that as well, and it's terrific. There's an entire team who Reacher trained, and they start turning up missing, and one of them has been thrown out of a helicopter, and it's quickly revealed that they were tortured before they were killed. And so a bunch of people who haven't seen each other in a few years start coming together to try and solve the mystery of what's happening with their friends and former teammates. The writing is sublime. It really is. And uh, I cannot wait to see the rest of the season. This is going to be one of those instances where I just rant and rave about binging because if all the episodes were available, I'd have this show watched by New Year's Day. And I don't really watch that much stuff these days. It's that good. So I'm going to be frustrated having to wait week by week. Yes, it's very good. I figured you'd talk about it and I wanted to take the chance to talk about the uh, Robot Monk books. Needs more murder bots. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. <laughs>